Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Good afternoon, folks. My name is Martin Shields. I'm a certified financial planner and wealth manager at Bruce Financial Group. And I'm sitting here with my colleague, Frank Fazio, who is our firm's portfolio strategist. And we're going to be your co-host today for Let's Talk Money. We're sitting in for our colleague, Stephen Boucher, who's taking a well-deserved break. Frank, it's great to be here with you. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy yeah. to be here. Yeah. And we welcome all of our weekly listeners to the show. And to any new listeners, we thank you for joining. And as always, we encourage you to call in with your questions. Uh, any financial planning questions, any Investment management questions, and as we always say in the show, there's no silly or stupid questions except for the ones you don't ask. You may be doing your fellow listener a favor by calling in with that question, so we encourage you to call in. You can reach us at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 1-800-825-5949. Or on your cell phone, it's star WGY. That's star 949. So we have a lot to discuss today, um, certainly discuss some of the uh, movements in the in the market, um, some big news out yesterday in the GDP report, and also, uh, once again, back to the Clinton emails, um, and what does that mean to uh, you know, to our to investors and portfolios? Um, we'll discuss uh, our outlook for the year. We're also going to review a little bit what our firm does from a portfolio management perspective and the process that we take. Um, and the ways we go about managing risk in the portfolio, uh, evaluating investments, and just giving you some ideas if you manage your own portfolio, how you can implement those ideas. Uh, And as always, we'll discuss some financial planning topics that you might be able to implement in your own personal situation. But again, we encourage you to call in with any questions. So you got a a rainy day out there, so a good day to listen to the show and uh, hopefully improve your own uh, financial situation. So, uh, Frank, yeah, maybe you can just kind of give a uh, recap on the performance of the markets. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, so far year to date, just on a price level standpoint, we've seen the S&P 500 uh, is up about 4% um, year to date. Uh, this is through Friday. Uh, you add on dividends and, uh, you know, we're, we're close to a little over a 5% return in, uh, you know, the broader U.S. equity markets. Um, international equities are uh, about flat. Um, you know, we've seen some appreciation in, uh, in in fixed income, even with the uptick in rates uh, that we saw this past week. Uh, fixed income is positive this year, anywhere from, uh, you know, let's call it 3 to 4%. Um, after being, uh, you know, one of the weaker areas within the the overall U.S. market in the first half of the year, um, uh, the Nasdaq has has still uh, performed well in the second half of the year, um, and it was in the in the red for most of the year, and and uh, you know year to date. Uh, through Friday, it, it's up almost four percent. So, um, you know, we're still seeing some some positive appreciation out of equities. Um, you know, more so in the U.S. equity markets uh, versus the international markets. Um, you know, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, we we do think equities are going to provide appreciation potential over the long term for a lot of the reasons that we've talked about on this show. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just looking at the graph of the S&P 500. I mean, since July, it's really been pretty flat. I mean, it's. Uh you know, gone or maybe up or down a, a percent or two, but 
for the most part, it's been pretty flat over that time. And um, whereas, like you said, the Nasdaq uh, was more the red, uh, but that, those growth stocks have come back strong in the last uh, two or three months. So um, interesting. So let's uh, let's kind of talk in context of uh, things that people should be aware of over the next uh, certainly week and a half with the elections, and then in December. Uh, in regards to the Federal Reserve uh, raising interest rates. And let's kind of bring that in with uh, uh, the uh, conference that we went to, Charles Schwab Impact Conference, uh, out in San Diego. Uh, And so it was myself, Frank, and our colleagues, Ryan and Steve Boucher, uh, who went out there. So for all of your listeners, uh, you probably know that uh, we're registered investment advisors, uh, and we use uh, Charles Schwab as a custodian. So for the $330 million of assets that we manage for our clients, uh, those assets reside at Charles Schwab. And uh, we use them. We have no connection to them uh, beyond them being our custodian. It allows us to get access to a huge universe of uh, investments, uh, and they're actually the biggest custodian for RIAs. Um, there was somewhere in the neighborhood of 2500 uh, advisors that were at the conference. And, uh, you know, they certainly do a great job of providing uh, us with guidance as to how we should um, improve operating our firm and things we can do uh, as far as managing portfolios. And that conference is a great uh, due diligence trip for us from an investment perspective. A lot of great speakers and ideas that we implement uh, within the portfolio. But, of course, one of the big topics out there was the presidential election. And, um, you know, what we as investors need to be aware of, what are some of the potential risks that are out there, and, you know, kind of going down through the different scenarios, um, and again, from a number of different speakers, um, giving their thoughts. And, uh, you know, I think it's interesting, right? So even in particular, now you got the news on uh, yesterday that uh, the FBI is now back investigating Hillary's emails through, of course, uh, none other than Congressman Anthony Weiner. <laughs> it seems like he can always get himself in the news, right? He can't stay out of the news. <laughs> <He can't. laughs> I mean, if this were this is a perfect book, right? You know, oh, yeah. he comes back into the equation right now, and uh, you know, through through their investigating him, they find these additional emails. So, um, but you know, again, right now we don't know what those emails are. If there's any, you know, substance to them and, and anything of concern, but. Certainly, you saw the volatility a little bit in the market yesterday, where it dropped, where it was positive, and then when this news came out, uh, it dropped. Yeah, and, and that's something you know we've been talking about with our clients. We've been talking about here on, on the radio show. You know, it's it, it, the expectation is for increased volatility around this election because of the the, the contentious nature between these two candidates. Um, you know, Hillary is is ahead in the polls, but you know, you look any given day, and 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 those numbers uh, can dwindle at any time. Um, and certainly, something with news like this can can hurt the campaign and and the markets. Uh, you know, worried. And, and the reason why the markets worried is because there is that that level of uncertainty. And if we know one thing about the stock market, when uncertainty comes into the picture, usually volatility follows right behind it. Um, so that's why we've been we've been somewhat cautious in our equity approach within our client portfolios. We've been letting cash build. We've been selling into rallies and trimming back some of our equity exposure. Um, we may even be doing that some more across our client portfolios. Um, we're not trying to time the market in any any stretch of the means. We still have our core holdings in place. Um, but we do want to be smart about what we're seeing because you look at a day like yesterday where 
GDP surprise to the upside, um, and we can debate how strong of a report it was. Still, at the end of the day, it was the strongest uh, quarterly number in, in about two years. Um, market liked it for the most part, and as soon as that news uh, bit came out about the uh, the FBI, the market sold off. So any news around, especially negative news around this election, you're going to see these these bouts of volatility with, with the market. Yeah. So let's look at, I mean, so the likely scenario is that Hillary wins. I mean, it's still the numbers show that she's got a double-digit um, you know, gains or uh, against Trump, and again, that may change as of yesterday. We'll have to see, but she's, she's got a pretty solid lead. So, you know, from an investment management perspective, you really have to go with where the odds are. Right? That's all we have. We don't have absolute certainty. We have an understanding of risk and, and odds, and certainly the the market likes a Hillary um, win more so. They know more so what her policies would be. Trump is is more unknown as far as his policies from an economic perspective. So. That the odds are likely that that Trump would win, but now you know. So you look at the different scenarios. Scenario one is Trump. Uh, I'm sorry, the Hillary win. Uh, scenario one is Trump wins, mm-hmm. right? So that's a, a dramatic change, right, from what the markets expected. And it's kind of like a Brexit situation, which is, you know, when the polls show one thing and the market's expecting that same thing, and then it goes to be different. Uh, that's the uncertainty that you're talking about that the market doesn't like. So just that the fact that you're going to have that change is uncertainty, and also what a, what a Trump's policies mean. So that could be a you know potentially volatility in, in the market. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, I mean the way I, I've thought about this as as our portfolio strategist is is kind of breaking it out into into three different scenarios, like 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 Marty's saying. So you have your best case scenario, you have your mid case scenario, and you have your worst case scenario. Best case scenario is, and again, again, taking politics aside, you have Hillary winning the presidency and Republicans retaining control of Congress. Um, if that happens, I mean, arguably you can say more gridlock, but at the end of the day, there's that that check and balance as well as the continuation of the current system, right? It's not an uncertainty. That's a certainty. We kind of know what, what's in place already, and the expectation is for that to continue. And, so and that is the most likely scenario. Exactly. So that's, that's, that, that's a good scenario for the market. You, you probably don't see volatility around that. Um, you know, the, the mid-case scenario is, you know, a, a Hillary uh, victory and, and, and a Democratic, you know, Democratic, uh, uh, the Democrats winning the House and, and the Republicans winning the Senate. You know, some sort of a, a congressional split there. Um, you know, again, you know, kind of no, kind of falls in line closer to the, the best case scenario. You don't typically see a lot of volatility around that. The worst case scenario that, that we see playing out, and historically you wouldn't even say this, but Trump winning and the Republicans retaining control of the Congress, because now you've got full party, whether or not they get along, that, that remains to be seen. But you've got a giant unknown in Trump in terms of what he's going to do and what his policies are, um, as well as a Republican Congress in place where there isn't necessarily that, that check and balance. And if there's a big win by the Republicans, um, you know that could be the Brexit-type scenario here that really nobody's, nobody's uh, you know, essentially expecting. And, and where you can get potentially a sharp sell-off in the market, albeit over a very short time. Because at some point, just like what happened with Brexit— the market returns back, you know, the, to fundamentals, and and people look at the world and say, you know what, corporate earnings have been a little bit better. You know, we talked about it last week, and, and we've got an update for this week. But corporate earnings aren't as bad as everybody's making it out to be. Still have low interest rates, even though interest rates have have ticked up a little bit here. So the overall environment isn't 
horrible. We're not nearing a recession. So when you get that return to fundamentals is usually when you see the market, you know, kind of pop off those lows, similar to what we saw over the summer after Brexit. Yeah, I mean, this really it, the the volatility is more of a Brexit situation than a, a long term decline. Right. Uh, it's more, you know, market's expecting one thing, something else happens, the market tries to says, what does this mean? And in that, it gets emotional, and uh, there's a decline in the market. So from our perspective, again, we, we got to manage towards the odds. And the odds are, you know, Hillary winning and probably, you know, uh, the Republicans containing control, certainly of the House, but even the Senate. Right. Uh, and, and, and that's why, from a strategy standpoint— you know, one of one of the, the the discussions we've had recently is okay. Well, if you think there's going to be volatility, why wouldn't you just sell out completely and go to cash? And it's just because of this. I mean, you, you've got to break it out into scenarios and probability. We don't know one way or the other. We don't have a crystal ball. And if somebody's saying, "Hello, it is Ryan," and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com, I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That, they're blatantly lying. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that's why we want to keep the core portion of our portfolio intact. But you know, let's be smart about it. Let's not get too greedy. Let's, you know, kind of build up some buffers in the portfolio that if the worst case scenario does play out, which we think will be short term, then great. We're going to buy in at more attractive prices. We're rebalancing the portfolio. We're adding areas where we may be underweight. We may go to an overweight in, in certain categories that we think have um, good prospects for growth over, over the next one to two years. Yeah. So from a portfolio management perspective, it's just on the margins, raising some cash, See volatility, take advantage of it, and investing that cash. Exactly. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, we're going to go to commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue our discussion and we take your questions. Again, we encourage you to call in with any questions, and you can reach us at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 1-800-825-5949, or on your cell phone at star WGY. That's star 949. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 810 AM, 103.1 FM. Welcome back, folks. For those of you who are just joining us, my name is Martin Shields, and I'm sitting here with my colleague, Frank Fazio, and we're your co-hosts today for Let's Talk Money. We're sitting in for our colleague, Stephen Boucher, who's taking a well-deserved break, and it's great to be here with you to answer any questions you may have regarding your financial planning or investment management topics. You can reach us at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 1-800-825-5949. On your cell phone, star WGY, that's star 949. So, Frank, before we went to break, uh, we started talking about uh, us attending the annual Schwab Impact Conference. And this year was in San Diego. They move it around from city to city, west coast, east coast. And uh, it's three days where we get to kind of step outside the office and really think about our business, how we operate it, ways that we can improve. I mean, everything from implement more technology for our clients. Uh, there was even a session on how to uh, maybe use less technology and just a business perspective, right? Just, you know, unitasking versus multitasking, right? And um, But also it gives us a great venue to do a lot of due diligence from an investment perspective and really focus on that. I mean, we have our weekly um, investment meetings and you as a portfolio strategist spend a lot of time on that. But to be out of the office, really kind of focus on that. Um, you know, it's something that we think as a firm is invaluable. And, 
you know, you think about all the great firms that you meet from across the country out there, right. uh, and these folks that you, as you share ideas, uh, how valuable that is. Um, but I know for you, again, from the investment side, there's a there's a lot of value. Yeah, there was there was a lot of great takeaways um, that I had from the conference. It was my first time going to uh, to Schwab Impact, and I, I came away very impressed. Um, number one, just the access to other investment professionals that on an everyday basis I don't have access to. To sit in a meeting with Jeff Gunlock, who's one of the biggest, if not the best bond managers in the world. You know, there's Bill Gross and there's Jeff Gunlock. Yeah. You know, those those are your top the two. The rock stars. Those are the rock stars <laughs> of, of the fixed income world. So to be able to sit in on a relatively small session um, and be able to ask questions and, and get his take on the world – Sometimes he's a little out there, but you know I, I think a lot of the times he's he's been right more than he's been wrong, and and that's why he's built up, uh, you know, such a large firm in, in double line asset management, and is known as one of the best bond managers in the world. Um, but to get his take on the economy and and you know where he sees interest rates going, and and to hear that we're in the ninth inning. You know, if, if we put it in baseball terms, we're in the bottom of the ninth in terms of, of interest rates being as low as they are. Um, now, the expectation isn't for rates to skyrocket, but they really have nowhere else to go but up at, at this point in time. So it was interesting to get his perspective on that. But then to hear from you know, a chief economist at Standish Mellon and, and uh, lead portfolio managers of alternative strategies at Oppenheimer. Um, so we say it's Charles Schwab, but to get all of these different perspectives from you know, very large, um, very deep asset management teams. And to hear it directly right from the horse's mouth, I thought was uh, was very great for me in terms of our due diligence process and, and how we think about the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, as we view our firm, Boucher Financial Group, you know, the independence element, right? That we're an independent firm. You know, we have this partnership with Charles Schwab, but it's just um, because we think they're the best out there to work with uh, as far as custodian. It could be with TD Ameritrade or Fidelity. But from an independence perspective, when we're looking at investments for our clients, it's the universe. And, uh, you know, we at this point, there may be situations where we actually use a Charles Schwab ETF if it's something that is the, one of the lowest cost ETFs out there that we can get with no transaction charges that tracks the S&P 500. It's a pretty basic commodity type of investment. We, we might use Charles Schwab. But beyond that, we're really saying, okay, who's the best out there? And we're looking at everything from cost to performance. Uh, you know, and through that lens, you know, Charles Schwab allows us to access those. And like you're saying, in, in a conference like we went to, you can hear them talk and get their perspective. Yeah. I mean, for me, if, if we, you know, we'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about our process today, but really it starts from a, a macroeconomic level and, and to get takeaways that, that I, I received from this conference and use that in conjunction with what else we're seeing in the world, right? We've we've been saying it on, on this um, on this program and, and you know, we're seeing it play out in the GDP numbers. Um, you know, we don't think that we're we're near a recession, um, and, and we're hearing it from from other you know larger uh, you know kind of developed teams that they're seeing the same things that that we're seeing. You know, the, the danger is is there a consensus thinking, but you know, at the end of the day, when we look at where wages are going, GDP growing you know above two percent now, um, you know, if it can stay in this two and a half to to three percent range. Um, you know, it's a pretty good spot for the economy. We're not growing at four or five percent, um, but you know, over time we may get there. Especially if the government starts 
to step in and and spend on infrastructure, which was one of the one of the themes that that we we took away from uh, from the conference. That now you have the Federal Reserve stepping away in terms of adding money into the system. Well, now the government, um, you know, depending on on entitlement spending, and we'll see what comes out of these elections. But the government may step in. We have a a very old infrastructure. This this country hasn't made uh, investments in that space since the 1950s. I think uh, you know one of the stats I saw over the week was the the average age of government buildings is over 30 years old now. Um, and we rank in, in kind of the, the bottom half of the developed nation in terms of the quality of our infrastructure. So, you know, you've heard the candidates speak about it more, but but at the end of the day, I mean, there, there's a lot of money that, that needs to be uh, directed to those types of investments. And and those are boosts to GDP. Um, you know, it, it might incur some additional inflation, um, but that might be how we get to the, the, the four or five percent historical growth rates that we saw prior to the, the financial crisis. So something that, that we're taking a look at. Yeah. And as we tell all of our listeners, folks, uh, you know, we put out more or less a weekly blog. Uh, it's If you go to our website, uh, boucherfinancial.com, uh, it's under our insights tab. And uh, Frank wrote a great blog on that GDP number and, you know, what does it mean to as investors? And, you know, we've said that all along, which is it's interesting because from an investor perspective, the sentiment's pretty negative, right? Mm-hmm. right. A lot of cash on the sidelines, um, you know, people are really concerned about whatever situation, right? There's, right. Yeah. And uh, we see it with, you know, especially like new clients who come to us who come in with half in cash and they've been half in cash for the longest time. And they're trying to say, okay, what do we do? Uh, and again, what was, we always say, well, it depends on what your needs are, what's your time horizon, liquidity needs and whatnot. Um, but, you, you know, as you're saying, the GDP numbers are pretty solid. The, right. the labor numbers are, are pretty solid. And, you know, you think about the infrastructure piece, I think, you know, the biggest unknown or variable to that is just honestly, you know, how do you get a bill, a bill constructed within Congress and get it approved? And then where is this? Where is it? How do you fund it? Right. right. But right. I mean, there's a consensus that we have not been spending enough on our infrastructure. And it doesn't matter if it's the electrical grid, whether it's the water uh, pipes. Uh, and this, so this is both, you know. City, state, and uh, federal level, right, right. and you know, at some point, you get situations where you have to spend it because they break on you. Right, and, and that's you know, that's kind of how we're thinking about things, right? It's the combination of of macro taking a look at the environment. You know, where are we from an economic standpoint? We don't think things are that bad. We we differ probably fairly greatly with a lot of other advisors, um, you know, that that we've run across that tend to be a little bit more bearish, uh, more in line with what we're seeing from our clients. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need to be investors for the long term. And, and over the short term, anything can happen. And over the long term, at least for the next three to five years, we feel reasonably certain that the economy can grow, that that we won't be headed towards a recession. And that's that's typically a positive towards equities. And, and then we take it from, you know, what I'd call a micro level, right? Now it becomes, how is our allocation? How are we positioned? So we talked that, you know, talked about the fact that, that we are raising cash. That's going to be more, you know, kind of short-term tactical around the margin. Our core positions are always going to be U.S. equity, international equities, because that's going to provide the, the long-term growth and the fixed income, the core fixed income, even though we we believe that interest rates are going to rise. Ultimately, we recoup, um, you know, any loss that we see in fixed income from the from the higher coupon payments that we'll be receiving if and when interest rates do rise. So, fixed income really is there. Capital preservation provide the hedge to equities, um, and, and then we build it bottom up. Once we have our allocation set, then we we use the number of tools that we have.
have in-house. Um, you know, we're a big believer in technology. We've, we've spent a lot of money enhancing the, the tools that we have. Um, that helps me as the portfolio strategist and helps Steve out with the day-to-day portfolio management where we make a decision, we can implement that, you know, within a span of, of 30 to 60 minutes. So the, the technology and the tools that we have, I think, are second to none and, and helps the overall investment process. Yeah, that's another thing you get by going to a conference like that, which is we look at, you know, a lot of different providers when we were there and that uh, that uh, um, event. And we also talked to a lot of different uh, advisors. And I was talking with a gentleman um, from New York City. The firm manages a billion and a half dollars. And when I was telling him what we're doing, he's like, oh, really? We're not doing that. Oh, really? We're not doing that. And it is true. I mean, I think, uh, again, to Steve's credit, we've always have invested a lot in technology. And, uh, you know, technology allows us to be more pro- productive. And, uh, you know, I always say that we can come up with a lot of great ideas, but, you know, it really comes down to process. If you don't have the right process in place and the right people to manage that process, um, then, you know, your ideas, it's very difficult to implement those ideas in $330 million in, in a portfolio perspective. And, you know, uh, investing in technology and then uh, utilizing that technology, but also investing in human capital like yourself, uh, bringing you on, Frank, has been a great addition. And we had another uh, colleague, uh, Harmony Wagner, up for our Saratoga office and, and the client service side. And, you know, to have a young uh, person like that in really adds a lot of value to just how we operate, um, but also to our clients as well. Right. So, all right, folks. Well, we're going to go to commercial break, but we encourage you to call back in with any of your questions. You'll listen to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY. 810 AM, 103.1 F. Welcome back, folks. For those of you who are just joining us, my name is Martin Shields. I'm a certified financial planner and wealth manager at Boucher Financial Group. And I'm here with my colleague, Frank Fazio, who is our firm's portfolio strategist. Uh, and we're sitting in for our colleague, Stephen Boucher, who's taking a well-deserved break. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. But it's great to be here with all of our weekly listeners. And for any new listeners, we welcome you to the show. And we encourage you to call in with any questions you may have on any financial planning or investment management topics. You can reach us at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 1-800-825-5949. 
All right, and your cell phone at star WGY. That's star nine four nine. So call in, folks. Uh, any question we're open to talking about, and we'll give you our answer and our expert opinion. So, uh, Frank, uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, going out to Charles Schwab's annual conference impact, and we were talking about the GDP um, report on Friday and uh, your blog that uh, is up on our website at boucherfinancial.com. Um, so why don't you go in a little bit more detail on, on that uh, GDP report and what uh, the takeaways were? Sure. Just to, to recap the report, it was uh, you know mostly positive. Um, it was one of the, the best quarterly numbers to come out in, in about two years. Uh, so the economy grew at a rate of about 2.9% in the third quarter. Uh, like I said, strongest quarterly gain since 2014 and, and follows a 1.4% growth in the uh, the second quarter the second quarter you know those were interesting numbers it got revised three times like it like it does every quarter um and the, the first the initial release was, was low um was about 0.4 percent um so you know we saw that that number get revised higher and higher as uh you know as the as more data came in um and usually by that that third estimate that's that's the final number so i'll be curious to see how you know with the 2.9 uh figure being released on this on this initial estimate see what happens now you know over the coming months uh you know what that final q3 number is going to be the expectations are uh, you know, if you look kind of consensus across Wall Street, uh, average, uh, you know, the, the economist forecast is for about two and a half to three percent growth in, in the second half of the year. And, and that's in line with with our expectations as well. Um, so to see kind of that that Q3 number come up towards the, the upper end of that range was positive. And, and it was areas that have been weak that have have turned. Um, so that's uh, exports and, and inventories. Those actually drove the, the numbers higher this quarter. Uh, whereas in previous quarters, it was consumer spending and, and residential investment. And those numbers were were somewhat soft. You know, as you look through the report, um, one of the things the journal focused on was, was the fact that consumer spending was weaker than expected. Uh, the, the market expected a 2.6 number and, and it came in a little bit above 2%. Um, so, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that consumer spending is, is slowing down? Um, you know, that's one of the main factors we've been looking at and, and talking about that can potentially drive the economy because consumer spending accounts for 70% of GDP. And that's supported by wage growth, which is what we've seen in, in, in every labor market report you know, over the past four or five months. Um, and we'll see November's report, um, you know, next week. So, you know, more to come on that. Um, you know, as long as wages continue on the path that they're on, you know, let's call it low 2% growth on a year-over-year basis, um, we think that that can support consumer spending. And if you actually look through the report, uh, you know, a few levels lower than just, you know, reading that that top-line number, you see that consumers are still spending on what we call long-term durable goods. And those are automobiles, those are appliances, um, you know, and, and those figures rose over 9% for the second straight quarter, which is a very strong number. Um, so, you know, we're not alarmed by uh, by a small kind of slow down, especially relative to expectations and consumer spending. And then on the residential side, um, you know, that, that was a fairly weak number. Um, so that is, I don't want to say a red flag, but but something that we're going to take a closer look at. Um, however, you still have historically low mortgage rates. Um, and if you look at a, another report that came out yesterday, home ownership, uh, the rate of home ownership bounced off of a 50-year low and actually went up about 1%, which was the largest quarterly 
again that we've seen in some time. So, you know, we feel like the housing market still has a lot of room to grow, uh, and that will play through in the uh, the residential uh, investment numbers that we see in GDP. We have a, a position within our portfolio that is geared towards housing, and not just home builders, but the companies tied to uh, you know home improvements, companies like Lowe's and Home Depots and, and Mohawk Industries. Um, you know, we view that as a long term play because of the the level. Uh, of of depth that the housing market needed to pull itself back out of, and and we're seeing some some pretty good numbers that first time homeowners are stepping back into the market. And as long as these these interest rates stay at least range bound around the current levels that we're at, there's a lot of support in place for the housing market. Well, you, you just mentioned uh, off of 50 year lows, so you, so you think about it, as far as home ownership, and you know that is you know all these things that you're actually seeing in the report kind of all come together, which is. You know, if there was a decline in some of the housing numbers, part of that is um, just the fact there's not a lot of inventory out there, right. and prices have gotten pretty high, relatively speaking. So, you know, there needs to be more home builders building homes. So, inventory actually improves a little bit. Uh, you know, when you've had such low home creation over the last two or three years, there's pent up de- demand. And granted, some of that is because you know some of these young folks coming out, they have a lot in debt. But as we see, as we talk to our clients. You know, some of them are living with their parents, and they're actually paying down that debt. They're accumulating uh, additional uh, balances to be able to put down as a down payment uh, to to create that home ownership. And then, you know, as you talk about, you know, when you see the numbers that are strong in the uh, consumers buying cars and um, home good furnishing, uh, that kind of goes to which is there's there is still strength in the, in the housing market, and that's a good underlying um, numbers to see. And also, when you think about it, like you mentioned, it's not you know the old you know four percent GDP growth, which uh, people kind of have expectations that we need to get back there. But you know, it's stronger uh, than you've seen on this new normal of two percent, right. right? Right. And uh, so that's certainly positive. Uh, you know, it certainly also does play into the fact that the odds of the Fed raising rates in in December. Uh, I think this report, unless something you know, never know what happens, but between now and and then, but the odds, you see these types of numbers, uh, I think the odds of them raising rates are that much higher. Yeah, nothing came out in the report that would suggest any sort of, uh, you know, cause for a, a pause from, from the Fed. I mean, they've been very vocal about the fact that they want to raise interest rates. Um, you know, and, and they they meet actually this week coming up, and the expectation is they're not going to do it um, in a meeting right before the election. And their their official meeting, their last official meeting of the year, is in December, in the middle of December. So the expectation now, with the jobs numbers that we've seen, a very strong GDP number above expectations, um, you know, kind of still gives them the, the fodder that they need to to raise interest rates. So unless something drastic happens, you know, if that worst case scenario with the election plays out. That could, um, you know, kind of scare them off. But at this rate, from what we're going, from what we're seeing in the, the economic numbers, um, it's looking more and more likely. And it's being priced into the market. I think, you know, at one point we did see about a, a 70% probability of a rate hike in December. Um, you know, with the, the impact conference, the general consensus among the economists that I, I sat through um, w- was the fact that, you know, at, they all believe that that the, the rate hike in December is, is imminent. But again, it's a caution about interest rates, right? We say that rates are going to rise. Well, there's there's a couple of different factors. Yes, rising interest rates in the very short term can be detrimental to fixed income. But what we also look at is what's the 
excuse me, the magnitude of that rate increase. And we think that the magnitude of the rate increase over time is going to be gradual. And that's great for savers. That's great for fixed income, for long-term holders of fixed income, because then you're going to see a kind of a, a steady, systematic increase in your yield. Um, you know, what, where we'd be cautious is if you see those quick spikes in rates, you know, 50 to 100 basis points like we saw back in 2013. In the very short term, that's a you know that's a negative for fixed income because you see such a significant decline in the price very quickly. Um, we don't think that that's a likely scenario. It could potentially happen, but you know the Fed has been very vocal that they're going to raise rates once and then kind of wait and see what happens and then raise rates again. They're going to take a very gradual and, and systematic approach. Yeah, when you look at it from a historical perspective, a quarter percentage rate rise, given how low rates are. You know, it's it's kind of like all right. That doesn't really amount to that much, and right. you know, it's really more so. You know, what is the market's expectations of future uh, rate increases? And also, you know, the other factor we talked about is inflation, mm-hmm. right? So you are starting to see uh, some element of inflation that's out there, uh, and also infl- expectation of inflation, which is also important, right? So what what is the actual rate by which prices are rising? But what is the expectation of future um, uh, price raises, which gets built into what interest rates are? It also gets built into what the Fed's going to do. Right. So you know, if you start to get inflation over two percent, and their target rate is two percent, uh, they're definitely going to be more firmer to raise rates. Yeah. And I think this Fed is definitely, and this is true, I think, with most central banks, given the uh, the, the weakness in the global economy, they've been inclined to actually push the economy more towards an inflationary environment because. They've been more concerned about deflation, right. which can be – West when prices actually decline, that can be as problematic uh, as inflation, if not more so. So they've been really to, willing to push uh, the economy uh, to have it grow, to maybe cause some inflation. But again, it goes to, okay, if you see all these factors line up, the odds of, of a rate increase uh, are, are there. Uh, but as we've said, uh, if, you've, if you're doing a good job of managing your bonds, your fixed income to just reduce your overall exposure to interest rate sensitivity, this is a good thing for, for conservative investors long term. Right? This means that, that over time, you're going to get more yield, which is a good thing. Uh, and uh, it's not necessarily a real negative for um, equity either. Right. Right, especially if it happens gradually. Yeah, yeah. So let's go to the phone lines. We have uh, Bruce. Bruce, are you there? Yeah. How are you doing uh, today? When we talk about the Fed and uh, uh, reducing or increasing interest rates, what interest rates are we talking about? So when we talk about the Federal Reserve, they have their, their benchmark rate, the Fed funds rate. Right now it's at a range of about 0.25 to a half a percent. So when they talk about raising interest rates, they're raising their benchmark rate, and that's the rate at which banks lend back and forth with the Federal Reserve. So typically what happens when they raise their benchmark rate, um, they're they're pulling money out of the system, right? They're, it's monetary policy. It's called a tightening monetary policy effect. Yeah. Now, that that flows through to the overall market, right? So as they well, rate— how, how does that flow through to the overall market? Because— the- the federal funds rate is a, short, a very short-term rate. That's right. Exactly. How does so, that affect uh, you know the prime rate or mortgage rates or any other rate? So you have prime and you have LIBOR that track very closely to that movement in the Fed funds rate. So you're going to see those shorter-term rates you know, with, with prime and, and LIBOR. That's credit cards, right? You might see your credit card um, uh, APY tick up. Um, you might start to see some shorter-term CDs come out at, at higher yields. Um, so anything shorter term in nature, and, and it's if you look at the the short term treasuries, 
the yields have, have kind of been priced in to a, to a potential rise in rates. So the shorter term treasuries are starting to, to trade closer, uh, you know, higher, but um, a little bit closer to the expectation of where the Fed funds rate may go over the next coming quarters. Bruce, that's a great question because it, it is in the Fed. It's not like there's this one rate out there that the Fed says, okay, this is what the rate is for, you know, a, a two-year bond, a 10-year they're just changing the federal funds rate. And as you were saying, Frank, the market can anticipate that change mm-hmm. and start to move with it. And, uh, Bruce, it can be a situation as well, which is, you know, the Fed can try to push interest rates and they can, you know, be usually pretty effective in, in moving short term rates. They may not be as effective at, at uh, moving long term rates. And long term rates tend to be more a function of what the market and market expectations are. So, so the, your 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 point is actually valid, which is as they raise rates, in general, historically, all rates move in tandem. Right. Um, but not uh, the long term rates. You know, ten, twenty, thirty years may not move quite the same as short term rates. Because that ultimately, those longer term rates are, are driven by growth expectations. All right, growth expectations and inflation expectations. And if you look at the five and ten year inflation expectation right now, you're looking at about one and a half percent, you know, maybe 1.6 percent in terms of inflation expectations over the next five and 10 years. If you look out over 30 years, the inflation expectation over the next 30 years is 1.8 percent. We don't think that's sustainable. Um, you know, the, historically, the the rate of, of inflation, you know, we use about a three um, percent rate of inflation over the long term, meaning thirty or forty years, and that's historically what we've seen out, out of the CPI. Even factoring in the high inflation of the uh, you know late seventies, early eight, you know, early to mid nineteen eighties. If you look historically, that average rate of inflation has been three percent. So to say that expectation over the next thirty years is one point eight percent. We don't think that's sustainable. And as the growth expectation and inflation expectation starts to get priced into the market, that's ultimately where you start to see higher yields for the, the 10-year bonds, which is where mortgage rates ultimately are, are tied to. Um, you know, Just within the past week, we've, we've seen the 10-year bond yield go up to 1.85%, you know, the highest level we've seen probably in the past four or five months. Um, so as the expectation for growth gets priced into the market, that's what's going to drive longer-term rates. But to Marty's point... Reserve ultimately the the only thing they can drive at this point in time is what we'd call the front end of the curve or, or those short term rates. Okay, well, thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, right bye. Thanks, Bruce. Great question there. Um, really, uh, you know, it's interesting because we do we we talk about this. We we talk about these terms and these concepts, and these are things we understand very well and uh, utilize quite frequently. But, you know, for most people out there, uh, you know, they're not involved with this right. on a daily basis. So uh, it's great to have a call like that so we can kind of explain in a little bit more detail uh, exactly what we mean and, you know, what's going on. So, folks, we're going to take a quick uh, commercial break, but come back and join us as we continue our discussion. You're listening to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 810 AM, 103.1 FM. Welcome back, folks. For those of you who are just joining us, my name is Martin Shields. I'm a certified financial planner and wealth manager at Boucher Financial Group. And I'm with my colleague, Frank Fazio, who's our firm portfolio strategist. And we're your co-host today for Let's Talk Money. We're sitting in for Stephen Boucher, and it's great to be here with you to answer any questions you may have. And we encourage you to call up with those questions and any, really anything financially related uh, as we say, when we work with our clients, we're their personal CFO. So quite often that you know deals with investment management that we're managing the portfolios. It deals with traditional financial planning. But really, we say anything that's financially related, we want you to come and talk to us because um, you know we act as fiduciaries. We're going to give you our 
unbiased uh, guidance, uh, and that's where we add a lot of value. So, you as listeners, we encourage you to call in with any questions you may have. You can reach us at 1-800-TALK-WGY. That's 1-800-825-5949, or on your cell phone at star WGY. That's star 949. So, um, you know, good discussion uh, regarding the GDP numbers and also inflation and what the Fed may do. Um, you know, from a financial planning perspective, over the last uh, two weeks, uh, the Social Security Administration came out with uh, their cost of living adjustment. So the COLA, which is uh, the amount that they're going to increase uh, to retirees. Uh, and this is done on an annual basis. Uh, for 2016, that number was zero, right? So uh, no cost of living adjustment, even though um, you know there was inflation out there, even though for most retirees, in particular from a healthcare perspective, they're seeing their costs go up. Uh, certainly in, in the area of food and whatnot, they're, they're seeing costs go up. But uh, you know, to get no increase in, in, in their security, you know, the thing is that impacts them this year, but it impacts them every year too, right? Because now they're, you know, they're not getting that bump up. Uh, so that future years, they're not getting a bump on the higher amount as well, kind of f- compounding effect of that. Um, so now this year with inflation, as we talked, around 2%, um, that the uh, amount that the benefit will increase uh, for 2017 is 0.3%. Hmm. Right, so less than one percent by a good amount. Right, uh, and uh, again, it's interesting where you you know it's not quite where you know the CPI is and everything, but that's where uh, you know they determined that uh, you know the uh, cola should be, and uh, you know that's been the case over the last uh, four or five years where the cola has been very low or even zero, and that definitely impacts uh, retirees who usually tend to be a little more conservative in their allocation. So they have more in cash. They have more in bonds and fixed income. And um, so they've been kind of hurting in that respect, really, with rates that's low. They also, if they have pensions, most of those pensions don't have a cost of living adjustment either, right? So a private pension doesn't have a cost of living adjustment. So, um, you know, this is something that when we do financial planning uh, for our clients and retirement planning, we're constantly building in there, okay, you know, let's let's have a uh, a three percent rate of inflation. Let's raise your uh, cash flow needs by three percent. And we usually, if we do have a cola uh, amount for Social Security, it's at one percent. Right. Um, and uh, you know, we always say that when we're going to build a portfolio and distributions from that portfolio, we're looking at having it do you know four to five percent distributions that we can adjust annually for inflation. Um, and that's important because, again, if you're not getting the inflation uh, adjustment from your pension, if rates uh, are low, and if Social Security doesn't keep up, uh, you know, it really uh, impacts retirees in a very dramatic fashion. And that's why for a conservative investor, we still advocate having an allocation to equities, to stocks in your portfolio, which historically are going to give you your best chance to fight inflation, to outpace inflation over the long term. So. It may not feel great to have a volatile asset class like that in your portfolio if you're a conservative investor living off of your portfolio. But at the end of the day, that's that's what's going to keep you ahead of inflation. Your your bonds uh, will will keep pace, um, especially as rates increase over time. Your your cash is a losing proposition. Um, you know, sorry to say that, but you know, at the end of the day, where cash yields a 0.1 percent and you know close to two percent inflation. You actually have a negative yield, uh, you know, on your cash. Um, equities over the long term are, are going to give you uh, the, the best potential to, to outpace inflation over the long term. Yeah, and that's what we always say. It's so important to look at your 
overall investments. And this can be outside investments as well. It could be real estate or whatever outside investments. And what role do they play? And they each have different risk elements, different return elements, uh, different liquidity elements, right? If you if you own real estate, uh, you don't have a lot of liquidity, relatively speaking, versus uh, you know owning it in ETF. But uh, you know there is this concept, which is you want to become a little more conservative as you get older. Mm-hmm. But you know these these days, folks are living a lot longer, and the one thing you don't want to do is run out of money or really get hit with inflation and not be able to handle it. So, like you're saying, you got to have some element of equities in there uh, in order to uh, be able to have that growth element, which is so important, right? So another, you know, which, again, we go to the conference at Charles Schwab Impact, the annual conference, uh, so many great speakers talking with so many other uh, advisors and getting perspective. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting, a uh, uh, discussion on, um, you know, what uh, individuals and families need to be aware of from estate planning and um, elder care. Um, but one of the concepts that came up was um, having a power of attorney uh, for health care for adult children, right? So, uh, you know, most people are familiar with having a power of attorney uh, for as people get older, so that something happens to your parents, you know, um, whether it's a relative or usually a son or daughter can step in and and act as power of attorney, make those decisions for the healthcare uh, decisions, having a living will that provides uh, guidance as to what type of care should be received. But this is also very true for uh, individuals uh, in their 20s. If they're not married, uh, and you're their parent, if they need health care, hospitals will not allow you uh, access to their situation. They're, they're an adult, and if you're not uh, married to them, then you, know, you don't have that. So having power of attorney for young uh, adult children who are not married, hmm. uh, that was a great idea. The other thing is you know, having um, those, those documents scanned and on your iPhone or iPad. Uh, because you know, quite often you may need them in an emergency situation, and you don't want to have to go try to find them someplace. And you know, sometimes they're, they're, the, the parents have them, and, and it's the parents that are having a medical situation, and you you know, trying to access them is not great. So they said that there's an app called Evernote that uh, you can scan uh, any uh, power of attorney uh, documents, any living will, uh, upload them to the app. And then, you know, if you're in a situation where, uh, you know, one, if, whether it be your parents or adult children needs care, uh, you can either send it to them. If you, you, you might be talking to the person over the phone and you can email them the document. And now at that point, they can talk to you because, again, if your child is, uh, you know, away at college or your uh, parents are in a different location, you know, you're talking to somebody over the phone. They can't speak to you about their Healthcare situation, uh, unless they have a document that says they can. Wow. So uh, having that uh, that document that you can email right from your phone uh, can be very valuable. And I thought that was uh, another great idea to mm. to implement. It's very interesting. Yeah, it means things like that. That you know, it, it, certainly having the the power of attorney is is pretty standard. But uh, you know, thinking about well, okay, what about adult children? How, how are they going to you know? And it's again, it's usually not that likely that they need. Uh, any uh, guidance, but occasionally that happens, and right. uh, and then also you know these days you know being able to email somebody the document there's uh, a lot of value to it. Okay. So. The fact that there's technology for that, I mean, it just kind of plays through to when we think bigger picture about the portfolios and you know, how we're positioned and overweights that we have and technology is one of our, you know, I'll yeah. call it our favorite sectors, but it's for things like that, that you would never, you know, you'd never really think of. Very valuable. Well, folks, it's been a great hour with you. Hopefully you benefited. Uh, come back and join us next week. 
And again, come in with your questions. We love to answer them. You'll listen to Let's Talk Money on News Radio WGY, 103.1 FM. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.